I decided I wanted to see what the scriptures had to say about business and money. And man, they said a lot. I mean, so I went through for a couple of years and went through all the verses about, about that and was cataloging all these verses, went through the whole Bible and, uh, and came away from that with some takeaways that really changed my whole trajectory. The first one, the concept of stewardship, that everything I have has come from God, belongs to God. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. You know, it, there was the idea that I, I don't have any rights. I've got responsibilities as a steward. God owns everything. I'm a steward. Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Eric Most, president of the National Christian Foundation, Rocky Mountain Region, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Lori Bossert, VP in our office. Well, today, uh, Lori and I, uh, we're, we're here together with a, a, a friend uh, in town. We're, we're with Alan Barnhart um, from an organization called Barnhart Crane and Reagan. Welcome, uh, welcome to, the, to the show. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's it's our joy. So uh, you happen to be in town for 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 a couple of events on some uh, collaborative giving stuff, and 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 are taking some time. And we've been having some good conversations. And I said, hey, can we wrestle a few more minutes and and do a little podcast? Let's do it. I'm for it. That's so good. Hey, for um for for our listeners, would you would you give a little biogra- biographical sketch of Alan Barnhart, your family, where where you usually come from? Great, um, Alan Barnhart. I'm married to an amazing wife, Catherine. We have six children. Um, four of them are married, and we have seven grandchildren. I live in Memphis, Tennessee. I work for a company called Barnhart Crane and Rigging Company and I'm part of a group called the Kingdom Companies Group, um, and that's what occupies most of my time. Well, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. It's interesting. You say you, you work for a company, and, uh, uh, but it also the company has your name on it, so it, it sounds like you're not the owner of that company. No, no. My brother and I were, were the owners of the company for several years, and in 2008, we took that company and put it into a charitable trust for all kinds of good reasons and been very happy that we did that. So so we're no longer the owners, but we continue to run the company and we are the, the stewards, but not the owners. That's great. Uh, uh, for our listeners, how about you uh, describe a little bit what Barnhart Crane Rigging is and what type of stuff do you do and, and, and maybe the scale of the business? Great. Yeah, we... Um, we try to find better ways to pick up and move heavy things. We have a fleet of about 500 cranes. We work in 50 different, we have operations in 50 cities in the United States, work all over the United States. Working in the power industry, we put up a lot of wind turbines. We do a lot of work in the nuclear power industry, a lot of work in the refining and petrochemical and chemical industry. Uh, Those are guys that need our type of business. We also work in steel mills and paper mills and things like that. But people that need something big and heavy picked up and moved, we're your folks. That's fantastic. And uh, this was a family business that started with your parents. How about give a little bit of that history? Great. Yeah, my mom and dad started the company in 1969 with a pickup truck and a ladder and a welding machine. And off they went. And they ran the company for 17 years. And uh, it was a, uh, they, they wanted to keep it very small and under control. The international corporate headquarters was two bedrooms of our home as I was growing up. Mom did all the books and dad ran the company. And uh, uh, we, we just grew up in this. So every week in the weekends, we were out working. We were running cranes before we had our driver's license. And, 
Sometimes we'd skip school to go do crane jobs. You know, so we it was just a, we just grew up in this business. Um, again, it was very small, just in Memphis, and uh, had about ten employees. And then um, in 1986, my parents left the business, and um, and my brother and I started another company in 1986. But it was basically a continuation of what they were doing. Okay. And uh, and before that, you um, uh, you you graduated just recently had graduated college yep. before you guys took that over, and um, in college you had uh, some very formative time for you in your walk with the Lord, and uh, and and that kind of informs even your life today. Describe that for us. Yeah, it was great. We I came to Christ through a ministry called Young Life when I was in high school. My parents weren't believers at the time, and um, went off to college as a fairly young Christian. And connected with some other guys who were more mature in their faith, and we were, well, we were together learning to pray, learning to study scripture, learning to worship, learning to serve, learning to give. Uh, it was a great four years with these with these guys, and it I came out of college uh, with a fairly strong faith, and and so it was a it was a great four years. Mm, that's fantastic, and, and you I've heard you say before that um, uh, in. In your time at college, you actually did a study of the Bible, um, the topic of the Bible of, of money and wealth. Yeah, it was actually right after college. Okay. I, in college, I had learned to study Scripture. When I got out of college and decided that I was going to go into business and actually go into the family business, I decided I wanted to see what the Scriptures had to say about business and money. And, man, they said a lot. I mean, so I went through for a couple of years and went through all the verses about about that and was cataloging all these verses went through the whole bible and uh and came away from that with some takeaways that really changed my whole trajectory the first one the concept of stewardship that everything i have has come from god belongs to god i'm not my own i've been bought with a price you know it was the idea that i i don't have any rights i've got responsibilities as a steward god owns everything i'm a steward um so that was one thing. And the second thing was a fear that wealth might hurt me and that business success might be detrimental to my spiritual life. As I read all these verses and things that Jesus said, Jesus warned about money 10 times more than anything else. You know, he said things like, you can't serve God in money. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He told these parables of the parable of the four soils and the one soil that was fruitless because the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choked out the fruit. The, the parable of the bigger barns, the guy, the guy that had a great crop, and he, instead of being generous, he, he tore down his barns, built bigger barns, stored it up for himself. God called him a fool. Mm-hmm. So Jesus was telling all these stories, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, on and on and on. Um, he kept saying, be on your guard against all forms of greed. Um, basically, this whole danger of money. It was a big deal 2,000 years ago. It's a bigger deal today. Um, And so as I was reading through these verses, I was very thankful to get those inputs to say, I need to be careful. I need to be intentional about this. This is a danger zone that I need to try to navigate with some skill. Okay, so uh, right before you kind of start this new business with your brother, you're armed with this exhaustive study of uh, of, of God and money throughout the the scriptures. It is, it's always neat to do those type of studies of the Bible. I've I've walked through one of uh, highlighting every place that um, so God kills somebody in the Bible, and that's a, a scary study yeah. to do as well. 
but um, uh, but so so you're armed with this 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 study, um, and, and and you go ahead and start the business. How does that inform how you start and how business at Barnhart Crane Rigging uh, works even to this day? Yeah, we're very thankful that we had those verses at that time. Was my brother and I were contemplating going into business together, becoming partners. That's tricky for in a family business, et cetera. So we talked about these things and we decided to put some safeguards in our life so that just in case this business was successful, it wouldn't be detrimental to our life. The first one was we agreed on stewardship versus ownership, that this is God's company. We're stewards. My brother and I technically were each going to be 50-50 partners, but, but we're stewards. God is the owner. And we agreed on that with our wives. And the second one was the to protect ourselves against some of the negative effects of wealth, we put a, we decided to put a cap on our lifestyle and said, we're going to live a certain lifestyle for the rest of our lives. We're going to commit to that. If God chooses to prosper this business, we're not going to see that as a, a call to increase our lifestyle. Instead, we're going to see it as an opportunity to use those funds for kingdom purposes. So we agreed to that before we got started. We weren't sure if we'd even survive the first year. Um, but we wanted to put those things in place just in case. I mean, this was a mom-and-pop business. Mom-and-pop left the business, and my brother and I were starting from scratch. Not from scratch, but starting on their, um, you know, their relatively small company. Um, and we weren't sure if we'd even make it through the first year, but, but uh, just in case, we wanted to put in those safeguards. Hmm. I have a question. You had talked about you becoming a Christian through Young Life. Is that also how your brother learned about Christ? He did. He, yes. It's just he was he was two years older, so he was actually the one that kind of recruited me into Young Life. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic. Laura, you also came to Christ, you and Mike, through, uh, through the ministry of Young Life, right? Both of us did become Christians through Young Life, and we are both first-generation believers and changing heritage with our children. Wonderful. Wonderful. Frontier Ranch, right down the street here in Colorado is where I heard the gospel and embraced it. That's so. fantastic. We both worked at Saranac. Have you ever gotten the pleasure of going to Saranac? I have uh, not been to Saranac. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, I want to back up in your story because I want people to also hear like your your trajectory right out of college was actually not to go into the family business or start this business uh, necessarily. You and you and Catherine met in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, memory serves me correctly, you guys were, were thinking about using your, your gifting as a, in business for, uh, for missions uh, where, where it's hard to get the gospel. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, so I, I came back and started working for the company and then fell in love with Catherine and we got engaged to be married. Two weeks later, we went to this big missions conference called Urbana, heard about areas in the world where missionaries were not allowed to go the gospel there was no access to the gospel and uh this was pre-internet and there was just not much way that people were going to hear the gospel um and we heard about the opportunities for people with an engineering degree to go get a job in one of these countries and and become an undercover missionary they called them tent makers so we thought you know let's let's do that we, we so we got excited about doing that and we start for the next year we started planning around doing that we got married six months later and people said don't go to don't go on the mission field your first year of marriage be, be married for a year so i'm still working in the family business and um Catherine and i are kind of selling our stuff and getting ready to go on the mission field when my parents came to us and said, hey, we're, we're leaving the company. If you want to go on the mission field, we'll just sell it. But if you want to take it over, you can, you can do that. 
Okay. So that was a tough, that brought up a real quandary for us. We were trying to figure out what does God want us to do? And we weren't totally united about it. It was a hard struggle to figure out what, what God wants us to do. And, and, uh, but through that process, we ended up t- deciding to start a business if we could do so um, with those safeguards in place, if my brother was okay with that, if his wife was okay with that. And so we had to talk that through, and they were okay with it. And so we decided to, to give this business a shot. That's awesome. Some of the safeguards you've talked about is actually setting a cap on your on your consumption, on your on on your lifestyle, yeah. on your income, yeah. and uh, and then uh, you also committed and you shared with other folks in the business, uh, the ten other folks, uh, mm-hmm. about giving away the excess. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, as I was recruiting some people into the company, I was sort of building in accountability. As I recruited them in, I would say to them. The fruits of your labor will not go to increase my lifestyle. My lifestyle is capped. Um, So the fruits of your labor will go for kingdom purposes if you come to this company. So once you've told a few people that and you've recruited them in and they've joined you in that, if I started showing up with fancy cars or, you know, with the luxury items, uh, it would have have been an issue. And so there was an accountability Mm. that I needed to live my life with the simple lifestyle that I had told them I was going to live. Um, and so I think it, I think that accountability is helpful. You know, this area of money, like in my church, if I showed up bragging about cheating on my wife or bragging about pornography or bragging about doing drugs, they would hold me to account. Mm. I mean, they would, there would be guys that would pull me and would, would confront me. Uh, there would be accountability. Mm. But in this area of money, if I were to sin in this area, if I were to consume more on myself than I should, mm. they wouldn't hold me to account for that. Mm. They would probably actually congratulate me on my cool toys that I have. Mm. And so I think in this whole area of money, there, there's not great accountability in the church. So we were very thankful to kind of build it into the company as we brought on new people. Mm. Uh, that's so great. Uh, accountability, I think, is so necessary, right? Because it's easy as as life changes to also have um, creep, maybe, yeah. and lifestyle creep. And so, um, and unfortunately, we've just added to the number of people that can help hold you accountable as, exactly. as you continue to share this story. <laughs> so thank you for being such a, a steward of, of the story um, uh, that God's kind of placed on, on y'all's life. It's, yeah. it's really grateful. Um. So let's let, let's talk a little bit more about even the business because you guys had committed right. You so you set this lifestyle, and, and one thing I want you to, to to riff on a little bit to use a, a Henry Kastner uh, kind of term. Uh, he always talks about riffing on the. Um, um, you talk about the camp uh, chef shouldn't, or the the, the 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 quartermaster or the cook shouldn't oh, yeah, shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't eat better than the rest of the troops. Can you talk a little bit about also like how you set that lifestyle? Great, yeah, and I, I want to start off by saying everybody's in a different spot and God um, directs different people different ways. I don't have a prescriptive lifestyle that um, all spiritual Christians should live at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are definitely Christians that are living one-tenth of my lifestyle and Christians that are living 10x my lifestyle and all are being obedient. Mm -hmm. So it's not a question of the dollars. But the way we processed it was basically said we're entitled to nothing. We would Mm -hmm. say the army cook shouldn't eat better than the rest of the mm-hmm. troops is one of our mantras. So we as people that God has put in a position to generate income because of the education he's given us, the country we live in, the opportunities we've been given, 
we're in a spot to, to produce income way beyond what we need to live. That doesn't mean that we are entitled to consume it. Mm. Just because it came on our paycheck or in our from our business doesn't mean we have the rights to it, to consume it. Everything belongs to God. We're the army cook, and we want to live um, not better than others who are part of the body of Christ. We all need different tools. We all need different uh, things to function in our society, but we don't we don't um, acquire those because we have the right to them. We acquire them because they're tools that we can use um, in his service. And so the, that's the concept, that we're stewards. Um, we need to enjoy the things that God provides for us. We need to use those things in his service. Um, we don't live a Mother Teresa lifestyle. There's, there's lots of people that live a much more simple lifestyle than I do. Mm. Um, but I, I, I don't live the life I'm living because I'm entitled to it. Um, you know, I feel like this is where God has put us. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. Um, you just touched on uh, uh, some family stuff. So let me ask you, uh, the first time you and I met, um, it was at a jog that you were hosting and leading, uh, a journey of generosity um, in, your, in your boardroom. And your son, Nathan, uh, who's part of business, was there. And we were talking about, uh, in, in a jog, we often ask a question of what's a early memory of money or things like that. And, and he was talking about, um, he mentioned uh, his affection for cars. Uh, I think this is a great story. So can you, can you share that? With a group? Sure. You know, our, we, we lived a relatively simple life, and I'm not a car guy. And so, you know, we never spent more than $10,000 on a car. We bought used cars, and they did fine, and they functioned well. Well, my son Nathan, way before he could drive, he was maybe 13 or 14, he, start, he got enamored with the Hummers. This is when the Hummers first came out. And, you know, they had the H1, H2. Well, he liked that H1 Hummer. Okay, that baby, you know, he would tell me how he could climb a 36-inch wall or it could go through this much water, and he was telling me. And every time we would see one, he would point it out, and he was, like, just fixated on this Hummer. And, and I kind of got – it went over from just sort of being a thing to where he was kind of pushing, Dad, we ought to get a Hummer. And so I finally said, okay, son, let's just talk about it. If we wanted to, we could go buy 50 Hummers and just line the whole driveway with Hummers, and we could write a check for it and be no problem. But why would we spend $100,000 on each of these Hummers when our $10,000 car gets better fuel mileage, hauls more people, it's easier to maintain? Why would we, why would we do that, particularly because that 90000 the Delta, Think what it could do in India, where we were last year. Hmm. Think what it could do with these amazing brothers and sisters who are struggling. You know, why would we want to consume that 90? You know, and he got it. And it, it kind of ended his, um, the, the allure of the Hummer. I think he still kind of liked them, but he no longer <laughs> saw that. That is something I'm gonna, I need to try to obtain. Hmm. Um, because the alternative to being a consumer is to be a kingdom investor. Mm. And, and they started getting that. And they got it partly because we took them all over the world to show them amazing brothers and sisters in Christ and let them see. And we had people at our dinner table very often talking about what God was doing around the world. And through all those experiences, my kids got it. Mm. And, and none of them were feeling like the lifestyle that we chose was that they were the victims mm-hmm. of that they were the beneficiaries of it because of the exposures that they got, the experiences they got. Um, so none of them have, have been at all embittered by what we did. 
So Ellen, I love that fact that you had your kids going out on missions and seeing other parts of the world. Can you just describe, like, was it a family philosophy? Did you do some, or was it the whole family together, the kids individually? How did that happen? A lot of it was the whole family together. We started our first our first trip we went, when Catherine and I went to Asia for the first time, we went to China and Philippines and, and, um, and Korea. We took our six-month-old son, our, he, he was our first first child, and I, I didn't think we ought to take him. And Catherine said, "No, no, we're taking him," and uh, so we took him. And and uh, but it was amazing because when you're going to a place like that, you're going there to build relationships. For what that's what we're doing. Um, we're not going to serve. We're going to build relationships. When you take your wife with you, that changes the dynamic of the and, and you become the relationships become richer. When you bring your kids, it changes it even more. And uh, we went we went across India in 1997. We had four kids then, and I'm still very involved in India. And I still have people reminding me, yeah, I remember when you guys came 25 years ago and went across India with your four kids. So I think that having taken the kids exposes them. Now, my six-month-old didn't get anything out of it, okay? Um, but we just got in the habit of always taking them, and so there was always a young one. Um, but the older kids started seeing things and hearing things and learning things that shaped them. And, uh, and they all have the pictures left over, and they all, the, the experiences kind of became part of the family lore. And uh, so they, um, I think they're all, they, they like seeing their passports with all these stamps in it. And anyway, so my kids really enjoyed seeing amazing, we didn't go to fancy places, we went to ministry places, and that was a lot more fun. We just happened to have shared that same experience. Um, I took our oldest son um, when he was 10 and a half to South Africa and Mozambique. Oh, wow. So here he was. We were showing the Jesus film out in the middle of a field that was just from the back of a pickup truck that was just phenomenal. And because other children were coming with their families, right? So David had the longest line of all these children that wanted David to be praying for him. Wow. And it was just a great experience. Mm. And then... But we struggled because it's not very common for families to take mission trips. So um, we actually, at one point in a church, instigated family mission trips with other couples so that we could take our whole family because we believe it's that family environment that can really help the learning process of what do we have and all that's that piece that we wanted our children to learn, that they were so blessed and how they could learn to give and that children are made equal the exact same by God's hand, yeah. no matter where they are born. Oh, that's great stuff. You know, and I think you can't get it from a video, you know, to go and meet people and see the realness of it and the roughness of it and the it's not all perfect, I think is just a great experience for kids. Hmm. So good. And so that's good. part of just living out generosity on the day-to-day basis. It doesn't always have to look like just writing a check. Yeah, and I mean, that's a th- that's a, one of the areas that we... We were, we were relatively, we were relatively thrifty in a lot of areas. One of the areas that we did spend money on is buying plane tickets and taking our kids around the world. And and it's a, it was not a small amount of money, but that's something we were willing to invest in. Mm. How beautiful! Mm, so good. That's so good. Um, 
All right, I want to talk just a little bit more about um, giving through Barnhart, and then we're going to have to wrap this this up because we've got an event starting here in just a few minutes, and uh, and so we, we're, we're squishing this in. But um, uh, so at Barnhart, you at early on you teased that you gave part of Barnhart uh, to uh, to NCF or most of Barnhart to NCF National Christian Foundation, and um, and through that uh, you 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 reinvest fifty percent of the profits back into the business, and then fifty percent kind of is given away uh, on an annual basis. And you guys are. You're not containering that money. You guys are seeking to actively deploy that out um, every year. Um, what is that? Uh, you've got a team of folks that are part, they're, they're employees of, of the company or the spouses uh, of, of employees of the company. And you guys are distributing out tens of millions of dollars every year. What does that process look like? You know, it started from the very beginning. We said we're going to give away 50% of our profits. This was when we still technically owned the company. We've, we did that. We've done that ever since. So we each each year we give away fifty percent. We have a group that tries to figure out where that money should go. It's not an easy thing to figure out how to give away money. So we involve people in our company in that process. There's about eighty that are part of that process now, and we do the they go do the due diligence and form the relationships and come back with a with recommendations as to what ministries we should be supporting. They do that in teams. So I'm on the India team, and our India team meets. Once a, once a month, and we travel to India uh, th- throughout the year, and we are doing research, talking to other to other to foundations about what they support in India, asking what are the things we can invest in in India, and then once a year we create a portfolio that we take to the board of directors of Grove, and say we want to, here's what we think we should invest in for India, and uh, so there's six teams that are doing that with about 10 folks in each team and then plus a few others that so um it's been a rich way of involving our people and getting better decisions made and more relationships formed and so it, it's been a it's it's not easy i mean because what we're doing is these are hard decisions and um again everything looks good on the video and when you start really digging into relationships with organizations. We say we're not giving money to these people. We're investing in Mm -hmm. what they're doing. And we want to return on our investment. And so we're asking for what are they going to, what are the deliverables? What are they going to do? Um, We ask them hard questions. Mm -hmm. We want partners. We don't want ministries to look at us as a donor, but as a partner. And partners have the right to ask hard questions. and And we try to, and I think that's really beneficial to ministries for people to ask them hard questions. I think it helps biz, it helps business people to be connected to ministries because you get that ministry heart. It helps ministries to be connected to business people because it helps them think through strategy and and question some of their uh, their givens. So it, uh, I think it I think it's been very healthy um, to involve our people and let them be a significant part of the process. Most of the decision is made out. I can't make any decision unilaterally. Mm. All the decisions are made by the board. Um, All the inputs to the board are done by these groups. Wow. It's so great. Uh, Love the impact that you all are able to make and uh, grateful that you did decide uh, after prayerful consideration to stay and stay in the business and, and start that with your brother. And um, the, the global impact has been truly amazing for the kingdom. And so thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for the work that you're doing and, and for sharing with us today. No, it's been a treat to be doing it. And again, we've, we've never given away a nickel that God didn't provide to us. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to be a good conduit. God has done it. He's allowed us to be part of it. And it's been a great privilege. Mm-hmm. And so good. So good.
So we had to cut the interview a little short that we did with Alan um, as we had a group of folks walking in to have dinner with him. And so we didn't get a, get as much time to stop and kind of reflect on things that we heard both in the interview and also throughout the day. You see, earlier that day, we actually, um, Alan came in and, and graciously hosted a group of about 80 business owners and talked about it and shared his story even more with them and answered questions. And we did the same thing over a dinner. And so, Lori, what really stood out to you in that time that we had with that, with Alan? It was just absolutely amazing to hear Alan's story and really have him share with all of us, honestly, from 2 Corinthians 9, where each of us should give, you know, according to what our hearts say. Alan was very, very um, strong in his comments that it's not the dollars, it's the heart. It's about what your heart is and what God's asking you to do. And that's where his whole story comes from, is him following what God has asked him to do. So it was really neat how he lived out that scripture so much. And he does give. He gives a lot to the poor. And that's where he sees his impact for his life is going to last forever because of the giving that he does. And so he and Catherine have really lived out the scriptures. The other thing that really strong to me was that he he appears so content, mm. so content in the mm. decisions that he and Catherine have lived out. And that's similar to what Paul talks about in Philippians, where he's content in whatever his circumstances, and it's all due to his deep relationship with God. He recognizes that what's most important is that connection. And I just felt that whole feeling in a with Alan that it's not about the money. Hmm. Money is just a tool, and he talks about that. And he doesn't want it to define him. Mm -hmm. And it just really inspired me to stop and think, really, what is my view on it? Hmm. What is my view on how I look at it, and am I using it too much hmm. to define me? Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciated how he talked about God's not impressed with the zeros. Um, he, I heard him say that a few times, and uh, and, and it really is encouraging. Um, he says, you know, man gets impressed with the zeros, but God's not impressed with it. God is focused on our hearts. And, and, and you can absolutely see a life that is totally sur surrendered to the word of God and obedience to walking with the Lord. It was, um, it was convicting to me. It was encouraging and inspiring. Um, uh, but I will say it was also very convicting. I think it was. The other thing that I was really surprised that Alan was very open about is that he told people at the organization what his goals were because he wanted that accountability, and he believes in that accountability with others. And he and Catherine do it, but I, it's obvious that he also does it with others. And I think that's something that we all need to recognize. So many of us don't talk about our finances mm -hmm. with others. And Alan just shared so much of how that accountability helped him stay true to what his words were. And when you speak our commitments to each other, then we will actually even hold ourselves more accountable. And I loved that part about him being so humble that he wanted others to... And he asked us at the end, if you guys have anything you disagree, will you please correct me? Yeah. What a humble, humble man he is. Yeah, that was that was incredible. After we finished recording, we had dinner. He just sat around to the group. And he says, "Am I wrong on any of this?" And really asked folks to to press in. And I think had a had a teachable heart, willing to will, willing to receive um, correction if necessary. Such a such an amazing example to me, and the thoughts that I need to is welcoming people into my life and letting and wanting to hear that from them. 
Yeah, it was such a and it's such a good point about the accountability. He kind of talked about that uh, uh, accountability within the church is is really not existent either. And so the fact that he's kind of laid the um, uh, almost the burden on his employees and his team members and those that he shares his story with, um, he doesn't do it for the limelight. I can tell you this is a this is a humble man who's not looking for uh, for the applause of man. But um, he also is somebody who, like I said before, he's truly gripped with the scriptures, and he has a, a fear of what wealth could do uh, in his own heart. And, and and yet he's also, like you said, he's not prescriptive too. He, he's not trying to say like, hey, I'm trying to dictate that you live this exact same lifestyle I do, or that you can't make more or make less than me. And, and I really appreciated the heart that he has. Yeah, it was definitely a day that I will never forget. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for taking time to be with us today. And um, on the Generosity Now podcast, we seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For more information on us, please check us out online at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains. You can also send us an email to info at generositynow.org. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast, leave us a five-star review, and share with your network. It would mean the world to us. Now in closing, I'm going to read doxology from Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.